Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is James. If we've never met or if it's your first time, welcome to the Grove. I'm going to uh, open our Bibles, or we're going to open our Bibles together and talk about uh, how things are. If you use an app and it's super slow, we're going to be in Galatians 6 today. Uh, and uh, this is a part of a whole summer series where we're talking about the uh, different relationships that we think you need in order to navigate an increasingly complex world. Uh, I think as our world becomes smaller, we're interacting with uh, so many new ideas and so many new concepts and so many new cultures and so many different people so quickly uh, that it's actually becoming more and more difficult to navigate the world. And so if you don't have more and more complex relationships, it will become uh, difficult for you. Uh, so we don't want to uh, become a people who are isolated, who are surrounded by people who look like us and talk like us and, and think like us and agree with us, uh, because that won't actually help us uh, move forward and become the people that we can be. And so we're talking each week about the different people that you can have relationships with. Uh, like we had last week, we talked about you need an editor. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about you need a, someone that kicks you in the butt every now and then, a butt kicker. And uh, today we're going to talk about you need a Yoda, uh, someone short uh, <laughs> with large ears who talks in strange sentences. Uh, um, uh, a Yoda in someone's life, though, uh, in, seriously, though, is uh, kind of a mentor person. And I'm not a big, like, Star Wars fan. Uh, I know some of you are, and some of you, it's offensive that I just said that, you know, it's a made-up story, and... And you, you wonder, like, if they've got this thing, the force, that can stop. Like, the, you know they have lightsabers and those stop the missiles? So why don't they just build the ships out of lightsabers, right? And then everything's solved. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> Some of you, I just ruined Star Wars for you, and you're welcome. Uh, but uh, the, uh, a Yoda is a person, and in the movie is a person who you go to uh, who kind of mentors you and helps you. It's, it's like a guru for you or a, a master in some area or some part of your life uh, that will actually help you uh, move forward in a way that uh, maybe is difficult for you, uh, maybe is something that you know you need to do but you don't know how to get there. Uh, a Yoda or a mentor or a guru uh, is different than like going to university or going to college because it's different than just like an academic education. It really is a uh, how to put things into practice kind of education, like not just learning something but actually applying something. And, and having the right mentors actually makes a, a huge difference in a person's life. I would bet that most of you, if you've had success in your life, you, you can look back at individuals who maybe intentionally, maybe just happenstance, uh, maybe they were, had a close relationship with you or maybe they were a little more distant, um, they had a significant role in helping you navigate uh, changes and growth in your life. They mentored you or they were your guru. They were the one you went to and said, this person knows what's happening. I need to learn from this person so that I can know what's happening. It, it's kind of um, a mentor for me, or a guru for me, is someone you look at, a Yoda, is someone you look at and you're like, I want to be like that person. Maybe a long time from now, uh, maybe in a short time from now, but I want to be like that person. I knew, I went to, uh, when you become a pastor, you go to like a school and they teach you all sorts of things that are in the Bible, like you learn a lot of it. 
And I had professors who, students would ask questions and say, what about this verse? And they'd read a verse out of their Bible, and the professor, and this is no word of a lie, the professor, he was trying to disagree with the professor in this specific instance, and the professor actually said, oh yeah, I know that, and quoted the rest of the chapter to him, and then uh, tore apart his answer because the professor was infinitely smarter than these freshman students who were youth group all-stars. And... uh, (laughs) which you think is really good, and it's actually, you learn very quickly, it's not. Uh, but there is, uh, I just, I saw that, and I was like, I, I want to know my Bible that well. Like, I want to know, if this is, if God took the time to say these things to us, I want to know what he says. And so, and it, it, this professor is decades ahead of me, and I still have decades in front of me, less decades, but still decades, uh, where I'm going to learn my scripture so that I can continue to grow. And, and it's just kind of a, a mentor relationship. I never went to him and said, hey, I want you to teach me how to learn all the scripture. But I watched the way he acted. I watched the way he studied. And I started putting that into my life. I've had other mentors that I went to specifically. And I said, I want you to mentor me. And I've had other mentors who came to me and said, you have potential. I want to mentor you. And all of those relationships... Uh, turn into great deals of growth or great times of growth uh, in my life. Some very, very close to the heart, some more in uh, a distant kind of way or a relational kind of way or an associative kind of way. Uh, But all of my relationships with who I would call Yodas, uh, or you would call Yodas, we would call Yodas, uh, are relationships that helped us or helped me take a big step forward or a big step up uh, that would make a difference in my life for a very, very long time. So uh, the character from the Scripture, and we have a different character from the Scripture each week, is this guy named Paul. Uh, Paul is a guy, he wrote most of the books in the New Testament. Um, the ones that aren't named. He never named a book after himself because he didn't write that way. But he wrote letters to people. Uh, and so the books that, uh, like Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, Ephesians... He wrote all of these kinds of books, uh, and First and Second Timothy, Titus, those books, where he was giving instruction to other people or giving instruction to other churches on how to do this thing following Jesus, called following Jesus. And Paul uh, himself uh, kind of had this educational time, like he came to Jesus in a very miraculous way. He was very, very far from God, like his job was arresting Christians and and imprisoning them and sometimes putting them to death. That was his work. And he had a come to Jesus moment where Jesus himself actually appeared to Paul, which is remarkable. You can Google that. Uh, Well, you should look it up in your Bible, but I know you don't know where that is, so just Google it. Uh, Let's be real. And so uh, Paul actually turned things around, spent some time learning what it was to follow Jesus, and then spent his life uh, starting churches. And, and this would be, uh, he started churches just out of the natural, a lot of people became Christians and so they needed to meet and so that became a church. And before Paul, it was, Christianity was a little more disorganized, a little more nuanced, or a little more uh, just kind of happening, and people, whoever was the loudest, got to say how things went. And Paul started codifying, codifying stuff putting things down like this is how an or- our organization should run and this is how leadership in the church works and this is what the church considers important. And here's some things the church doesn't consider important. Here's some things we do. Here's some things we ain't going to do uh, anymore. And usually it was things that people were doing and he had to call them out on it. 
the Galatian church is a church that Paul started, and you can read about him starting the church in the book of Acts, which is kind of a history of the very early church, and the second half of Acts is basically the story of Paul uh, starting riots because he would get a lot of Christians and start churches and then getting arrested and those kinds of things. And, but Paul starts this church in Galatia, which is probably either a city, but it sometimes would be referred to as a region around that city. Uh, and then he leaves, and he leaves some people in charge, and he goes. And some people came in after him and with some different ideas about how to follow Jesus. And basically, there are, the different ideas were if you um, follow some rules, God will like you better. And what you think, oh, that makes sense. I want God to like me more, and so I'll follow these rules. The problem with that in a theological sense is you begin to think that a person who follows rules is loved more by God than a person who doesn't follow rules. And Paul was very, very clear in his writing, and this is just some background stuff, but it, I think it's important. Paul was very clear in his writing that we're saved um, by God's grace through our faith in Jesus, not by the things we do. So you can't ever say, God is saving me because I'm such a good person, or God is favoring me because I did this, this, and this. Uh, there are times when you enter into God's favor through uh, obedience to God. God says pray. You pray. You have a better experience of life. It's not because God loves you more than the person that doesn't pray. It's because the natural outcome of obedience to God is goodness. God doesn't ask us to obey him in things that lead to anything but goodness. And so when, uh, but when these people came into the, this early, early church of brand new Christians and started saying, let's start following all these rules, Paul decided to write them a letter, and it doesn't say, don't follow any rules, <laughs> but he says, do things that are beneficial, not things that are harmful. And there were some complications in the very early church. Uh, they lived in a very, very secular society. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing for me as, as our uh, experience of our culture grows, what we would call increasingly secular or decreasingly uh, what people would recognize. Christianity has had like a chaplain role. We've had like a home field advantage for 500 years. Uh, and Christianity in the Western world is shifting away from that home field advantage. And so there's some complications in how you live your life. Um, there are, uh, I remember um, years ago, I, I was talking with a friend of mine who didn't uh, have a t particular long distance plan from a particular company because they supported a cause that he was against. Uh, as a conservative Christian, uh, and he's a good guy, and I'm like, okay, I didn't, I wasn't buying what he needed, and I, it was whatever. But now every company that offers the service that he needed all agrees with the company that he avoided, and so his choice is, I think it was like a long distance telephone plan, which, if you're young, you don't even know what that means. Uh, when I was dating my wife, it cost hundreds of dollars a month when we were apart. Uh, to talk to each other, just to talk to each other. Uh, and, and we would, so you would pay these long distance plans for calling when you were a long distance from someone. Saying this out loud, I feel so old, <laughs> but, but it makes a lot of sense in the early 90s. <laughs> okay. Um, but there, so 
you're living in a world where if you're trying to um, control your economic involvement with the world according to what companies stand for and what companies don't stand for things, the choice is going to be to go without things that you actually need. You will have no long-distance plan if you are against a particular cause in our society that the general population has accepted uh, or normalized. And this creates complications for Christians who are living in this world, which necessitates the need for mentors. And for the church in Galatia, it necessitated the, t the need for Paul or a Yoda to come in and say, this is how life works. This is how Christian life works. And it's usually much more complicated than a yes or no answer. A lot of times you'll go to a mentor and say, I need to know, should I go to the right or go to the left? Should I take this job or stick with this job? And a good mentor actually complicates the situation and helps you grow instead of just telling you what decision to make. Uh, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I could just stop the sermon right there. Is that good? Is it hot? <laughs> I'm not stopping. Are you joking? All right. I've got a countdown clock, and I've got 18 minutes and 36 seconds. And it's like a dirty little secret. I don't respect that countdown clock at all. So I do respect the children's workers and the children's volunteers, and I'm scared of them. And so we will not be going past the clock. I want to read Galatians 6. It's going to be on the screen for you. I'm going to hold it up because my print is so small. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. We're actually going to stop there. Uh, this is just a small little paragraph of this large letter. It's near the end, but it's a large letter with a lot of different points in it. And we're just going to talk about this individual point because it leans into the idea of mentoring. The whole book is an example of it, but this leans into what he's talking about. And he talks about if there's someone among you, brothers and sisters, that's caught in a sin. There's something in their life that has caught them up. The response to that as Christians is to restore them gently. The response is not anything else. It's not to restore them harshly. It's not to rebuke them harshly. It's to restore them. There is a, um, I think, historically as Christians, we're much better at, uh, myself included, judging the people who sin and condemning the people who sin than restoring the people who sin. Restoring the people who sin gets really, really messy, doesn't it? Because then your church is full of sinners. You can laugh because I'm going to get sarcastic. Because this one is. And that's you. <laughs> if you don't restore sinners gently you develop the harshest church you can imagine, which maybe you've been to those churches. They're getting smaller and smaller because there's a lack of recognition that the church is full of people who are caught in sins. And if you're not caught in a sin, that's called your, you've got pride and you're caught in that sin. <laughs> 
or lying to yourself, which is the next verse. You think there's something and you're not. When we're caught in sin, we restore each other gently. There's an admission in Paul's letter that all of us are kind of stumbling along, trying our best at life. And there's admission in Paul's letter that even Paul, and he talks about this in other places and in other letters, where he's trying his best at life, but he doesn't even trust himself to judge himself because he knows he's messing it up in ways that he can't even see. I call these like blind spots. And a person, most people, have more than one blind spot. An area in your life where you're just terrible at and you have no idea that you're terrible at it. The people close to you know. It's just like when you're driving down the road and you're in someone's blind spot and they cut you off. They don't know that they were cutting you off, but everyone around them knows. And there's a reaction to that. You can get really, really mad at that person. Or you can restore them gently. So you go up beside them and restore them back to their lane. <laughs> gently. <laughs> I'm just, that's not gentle. I'm kidding. <laughs> but there are, in real life, there are times and your closest friends know your blind spots. Your closest family members, your closest co-workers know your blind spots just like you know theirs. And in a loving relationship, you have a gentle restoration to people who get caught in sin, usually because of their blind spots. And so Paul instructs them to restore each other. Then he says this, and, and he's going to say two things that sound opposite, and I want to explain that. Verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Then he says in verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. So first he says, carry each other's burdens, and then he says, everyone should carry their own. The reality is that everyone should carry their own. But it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult to actually manage your own life with the increasing load that you're responsible for. If you imagine life as a truck and, and you've got more and more stuff being added in the back, it becomes increasingly difficult to drive that truck the heavier it gets. Not just like engine-wise, but managing on the road the increasing weight in your vehicle. And so it's completely scriptural, and it's actually a fulfillment, Paul says, of the law of Christ. Not the laws of people that people are putting together, the rules that people are putting together that says, you do this and you'll impress God. But the law of Christ is that you love others as you love yourself. You serve others in a sacrificial way. And so when you see someone struggling with their own work in their own life, you come along and help carry that. And in doing that, you fulfill the law of Christ. Because each one should carry their own. But by other scriptures that we read, if you're faithful with what God has given you, He's going to give you more. And we like to talk about that like it's a blessing. Like I've been faithful with a little, so He's going to give me a lot. It's terrible. Like, it's almost, if you should read that verse, to be unfaithful with a little, because if you are faithful with a little, God's going to give you more. Because God's in the business of exposing your humanity and exposing your lack of ability to do it on your own. And if you're doing good in life, like you've run in a ministry or you're volunteering or you're serving in the church and you're doing a great job, expect God to give you more opportunities and give you more responsibility. 
and expect God to promote you to a place of inadequacy. (laughs) And when you get there, you'll either be frustrated with God because he did what he said he would do and you probably shouldn't have been faithful because now you're frustrated, or you'll begin to experience the law of Christ when others come alongside you and help you out. This is what seeking out a mentor is about. I've reached places in my life where I've been, I don't know what the next steps are. And the only reason I'm here is because I've done the last few steps really, really well. And now I've got a problem. If I wasn't good at that, I wouldn't have to do this. And so you rise to a level of ineptitude and then you require someone else. Hey, can you help me carry this? Can you help me carry this part? Can you help me carry this part? And I've been able to do that for other people. Usually, like, uh, uh, just this week, I spent an hour on the phone with a younger pastor who's struggling with a big decision that I've made in the past. And so I talked through, and I'm good friends with him, and I talked through where his giftedness, I affirmed a lot of things in him and encouraged him. I didn't make his decision for him, but I carried some of the weight of the burden that he was having. We fulfilled the law of Christ. And so while the verse sounds like it says, carry each other's burdens because everyone should carry their own, the reason we need to carry each other's burdens is because everyone who's carrying their own will increasingly load more onto themselves. If you're young and you're going to school, if you do really well, you get to go, well, that's wrong. If you attend school in middle school, you get to go to high school, right? (laughs) Uh, So you go to middle school, you do good enough to get to high school. That's not a reward. Because high school, there's these things called grades that matter. (laughs) And you're going to actually have to begin to work. It's like a punishment. And then you do that well, and you graduate high school, and you get to wear a dress and a funny hat and walk across a bridge. And then they punish you by going to college because you did so well at high school which if you've been to university, it's terrible. The professors do not care that you have a rough life and things are late. They don't care. And then you do really well at that, and you get a job. And those are the worst. (laughs) The reason you get paid is to just, like, make it a little easier because every job is terrible. (laughs) There... It's, it's like if you do well enough, you're going to be able to get promoted to the next thing. I'm, I'm sure your job is fantastic, but there's parts of it that you wouldn't do for free, isn't there? Right? There's parts of my job I would not do for free. There's parts I would do for free. There's parts I would not. When you get promoted and you do well, you're going to keep rising to levels where you need other people to help you to pull, your, to pull the weight, to pull your responsibilities to pull everything that God has given you in your life. And then Paul says this at the end. And I've got a few action steps that I want to talk through. But Paul says this at the end. Nevertheless, this is verse 6, the one who receives instruction in the Word, which means like in the Scripture, should share all good things with their instructor. Uh, This is actually like a really specific, I can't say that word, verse that gives a a really detailed instruction on how your life should go. There should be people in your life who are spiritual mentors to you, 
who are giving you instruction in the Word of God. Sometimes that's your pastor. In a church this large, uh, it can be like sermons and you get some instruction in the Word. Uh, but you probably need more than just, in a church this large, information from the pastor. And so you get into like a group or you get into a relationship with some other people and study the Bible together or you uh, get on, into a group online or in some kind of social media or you're listening to some podcasts of some teachers who are helping you. The Bible actually instructs us to share the goodness that you gain from the instruction of others spiritually to share that with them. Because when it comes to like your work or your job, like we were talking about high school and college and work, or if you're lucky and you don't get to have to go to college, you can get a work. And when you get those kinds of things, there's a reward monetarily. But spiritually, you're going to have mentors who aren't doing it for an earthly reward. They're doing it for a heavenly reward. And so you are gaining instruction in the Word, in spiritual things from someone, and the Bible actually instructs you to share the goodness back towards your mentor. What that means is, not only should you seek a mentor in your life in order to grow, but you should seek to mentor others so that you can enjoy the goodness of the Lord working in other people's lives. So on the one hand, you should be seeking a mentor. You should be looking, where do I want to be in five years, ten years, forty years? And who, when I look around this church, who do I see that's there? And how do I watch what they're doing, learn how they talk, learn how they interact, learn how they study Scripture, so that eventually I can get there too? And then on the other hand, how do I look at people who are younger than me, five years, ten years, forty years younger than me, who seem to have potential and how do I approach them in order to mentor them so that they can actually stand on my shoulders and go further? Not so that they can be as good as me, but so that they can be better than me. So they can take what I've done in my life or what I've learned in my relationship with God and how can they take the next step? So I've got a couple of things. These are really practical things. It's not out of the Bible. It's actually out of a, a book and there's a chapter on selecting a mentor and I, I erased one of them and changed one of them. But anyways... Uh, yeah, I changed it enough so it's not plagiarizing, right? Um, but I want to talk about these ideas on how to select a mentor. If you are not the youngest person in the room, uh, then you should be thinking about these in terms of mentoring others, people who are behind me, specifically spiritually, people who are younger than me, specifically spiritually. So if you're not the youngest Christian in the room, if you've been a Christian in the room uh, longer than most people here have been alive, then you should be reading these as, how do I live these out so that I can be an effective mentor for other people? All right? If you are young and looking for a mentor, these are guidelines you should look for when you're looking for someone, I want to be like them. All right? Number one. And if you're a writer-down person, you can write these down, and you'll feel good about having notes. And they're numbered, so it's really organized. Number one. This is going to surprise you. How do they treat, ask yourself, how do they treat their spouse? So if they're not married, you can ignore this question. But if they are married, you ask yourself, how do they treat their spouse? Because if there's someone that you want to be like that treats their spouse poorly, then it reveals a character flaw that you don't actually want to be like that person. 
this is going to be harsh and aggressive, and I'm going to ruin your drive home if you're married, but we're going to just do this, okay? There are people I know who will openly uh, talk in a derogatory manner about their spouse, which is ironic to me because I'm, I'm sitting there like, you're the dummy that married them. So when a person is talking about their spouse in a derogatory sense, tearing them down, what they're really telling me is that they're a poor selector of other humans, a poor selector of a person to have a lifelong relationship with. They married someone who's crazy, which means they're not able to tell a crazy person from a sane person. (laughs) I have a, just a general rule in my life. I don't, if there's, I have a complaint about my wife, I don't tell you. I don't tell you up here. I don't tell you on social media. I don't tell you in personal conversation. You don't know anything. That, this is awkward because she's going to lead this thing in a second. If you're, but you don't know anything negative about my wife that I know. Nothing. Uh, you know her uh, frustration with me, but that's not a complaint. That's justified. (laughs) But like all of us, we're married to someone who has habits that we would choose them not to have. I shave sometimes and leave the remains of my shaving experience all over in the bathroom. That's a frustrating thing. My wife has never told you about that, I hope. Has she? Okay. But she has told me about that several times over the last number of years, like 20 years. But there is, we don't share with other people things that are derogatory about each other. Uh, We don't tear each other down. We only build each other up. Uh, we, in part because life is hard enough, but in part because we want to be the kind of people that are worth emulating. And I know you've gone over for dinner at someone's house, right? And you're sitting there or you're on a double date or something and there's you and your spouse and them and their spouse and they start like talking to each other in a really uncomfortable way and, and like really negative And there's just this kind of like, you're looking at your spouse like, let's fake that the babysitter's calling. You know, like, how do we get out of this? There's this, we're not ordering dessert. You know, like, you're in those situations, and we decided we never want to be the kind of people who are in those situations. It doesn't make us good or perfect, or like, if you're looking for someone who's perfect to mentor you, don't bother. There's no one who's going to be perfect. And I'm not a perfect husband, and we're not a perfect marriage. But we, how the person who mentors you treats their husband or treats their wife is a significant indicator on whether you actually want to be like them if they're married. Second, uh, and this is, again, going to be surprising, but do they have a relationship with their kids that gets into their actual spiritual and work lives? Are their kids something on the side, or are their kids... Uh, do they see themselves as serving their children by bringing them into what they do? 
And so you look at their relationship if they are, have children. How do they treat those children? Because, again, if you're like, my children are awful. You made them that way. And I know this is the insulting part, right? Like, I didn't. There's something else, right? Like, no, it's you. Your children are an exaggerated version of yourself. Now, my son is playing the drums today. And he went to camp this week, and there's a video online of him dancing at camp. And when I watch that video, I feel embarrassment for the people who saw me behaving that way going into ninth grade when I was at camp. Because it's like watching a video of myself. It's like, that's who I am? I'm a mediocre dancer. <laughs> No, he is a much better dancer than me already, and that's frustrating in itself. But there is, uh, like, when you're, if you complain about your children, they spend more time with you than anyone else, and so if they're nutty, and I'm sure this doesn't apply to you, but it applies to all the people around you, it's you. If your children are nutty, it's on you. And I'm not saying like all of their characteristics are on you or something like that, but if you're like, I don't like my children, and you don't say that out loud, but you know. You're the one who made them that way. And so if you're looking to get mentored by someone who doesn't like their own children, doesn't like being around their own children, then they're not good at developing other human beings. Right? Or maybe they don't like their children because they're like their spouse and they don't like their spouse. And then don't be mentored because, they're, again, they're not good at choosing human beings to be friends with for long terms. Three, and we'll get away from the family now so we'll stop being uncomfortable. Do they get excited about other people's ideas? Or do they only get excited about their own ideas? I want to be mentored by people who tell me good things about others, not just good things about themselves. So when you talk to them, do they share ideas that other people have had and give credit for those ideas and... Talk like that person is smarter or more spiritual or more disciplined or more wise than they are. Are they willing to allow others to shine? You don't want to be mentored by someone who is just looking to prop up their own image, which leads into the next one, uh, which is the fourth one, which is are they humble? You don't want to be mentored by a person who's not humble. And not like a fake self-depreciation, not like in a comedy way, but really you want to be mentored by someone who thinks other people are awesome. And there are some people who only think they are awesome. But how do they manage their own work and their own load? I want to be mentored by people who tell me that they're in relationship with other people who would be their mentors. I don't want to be mentored by someone who has arrived. Like, I don't want to be mentored by a guru who sits on a mountaintop. The guru on the mountaintop has no idea what life in the valley is actually like because he lives on the mountaintop. But if he's being mentored by someone on a higher mountaintop, then, we can get it, then that relationship is going to help me grow. So are they humble enough to realize that they haven't arrived? And the last one is this. Um, the last one is uh, consider your, the person you're considering mentor as a mentor and how they deal with the concept of honor. And here's what I mean by that specifically, is do they honor others? Like, do they defer special treatment to other people in situations? 
The Bible says it this way, like, do they walk into a room and sit at the head of the table naturally, or do they walk into a room and sit at the foot of the table naturally, or at the side of the table naturally? And you can see that in people. When they walk into a room, do they automatically assume that they're the most important person there, or are they looking and seeing other people who are important and giving them honor? I think this is a little different than humility because it's not just an attitude, but it's an actual practice. The other part is this. Do other people give them honor? Like, do other people talk positively and honorably about the person that you want to be mentored by? If you don't hear other people saying, this is a great person to learn from or grow spiritually from, then maybe there's a reason. Because if there's someone who is spiritually mature, who helps other people grow spiritually, word gets out because people want to grow spiritually. It's just true. Are they uh, given honor by people uh, who look up to them? Because there's people who are maybe older and maybe more spiritually uh, like mature, but people don't give them a lot of honor and people don't speak really positively about them because they maybe aren't good at passing that on to other people. Does this make sense? Like you've seen some people who are awesome at what you want to be awesome at, but they're really not good at helping other people grow into that. And so people don't give them honor. And so look at how they interact with their spouse or look at how you interact with your... These four things, or five things, look at how they are in your life and look at how they are in the life of the person that you want to be like. Just look at how they treat their spouse if they're married. Look at how they treat their kids if they have children. Uh, look at how they talk about other people's ideas. Consider their humility and consider their honor. These are challenging things for us and ourselves because we are not the youngest person here. And there are people who are looking up to you who you'll be able to Uh, And I think specifically spiritually. This also has applications in your work or in your school or in your sport or in your family and your interactions. But spiritually, there are people here who you can help grow. Who you can say, I've spent time with Jesus, just like uh, they spoke of the early disciples in Acts chapter 4. We're surprised because these are unlearned men, but they have spent time with Jesus. And so you spend time with Jesus and others can benefit from that. Or you're around people and you just feel like they have spent time with Jesus. Like, there's thing, like they read the Bible as if they know what it says. Like large parts of it as if they know what it says. I want to learn from them. These five things are easy things that you can go through to say, should I become this person? Should I become like this person? And then turn around and say, should people become like me? Am I doing this same thing and making myself a Yoda for someone who's a younger Jedi who can grow into something great? I want to pray for us and we're going to worship together, just one song together to close our service. And and then I actually want you to live these out. Uh, There's next steps that we put in the bulletin each week. But your life is only going to get more complicated because you're going to do good at it. And as it becomes more complicated, you're going to need people that are mentors to you 
and you're going to have the opportunity to mentor others to be able to go past where you're at. And those are real things, uh, real advancements of the kingdom of God in our world and in our culture. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. Lord uh, Jesus, I want to ask that you would uh, give us a conviction in our hearts to be worth imitating and help us to spend the time growing into something that can contribute uh, to the life of someone else. Make us the kind of shoulders that people can stand on so that the next generations, the younger people spiritually, the people who are younger than us in following you can go further than we have can know you more deeply, can share your gospel more concisely, can love to a greater degree, can fulfill the law of Christ. And on the other hand, I also pray that you would give us shoulders to stand on and people to mentor us and to help us become greater than the generations who are before us. That we would live into what it is to follow Jesus in such a way that more and more people would know and experience the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of what it is to follow you. We confess our failures in these areas, but not in a way that we want to experience shame or experience rejection, but in a way that we can gracefully restore one another to what it is to, follow, to be following you. Allow us gentleness with each other, and growth with our Yodas. Amen.